My name is Pete. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, thank the group for having me back. Uh, it's about a year or so ago I was here doing one of these series. And uh, so I'm grateful to be here and get to share with you over the next few weeks uh, my experience, strength, and hope on getting recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, on getting recovered from alcoholism. And not just not picking up a drink, but getting recovered from the isms that accompany alcoholism. What I have found out the hard way is that even though I stopped drinking, alcoholism is still alive and breathing, and I can be in this sacred fellowship completely untreated and suffering from full-blown alcoholism, even though I'm not drinking. And what I attempt to do is to see where spirit moves me over the next few weeks is talk about getting recovered, not only from alcohol, but the things that accompany alcoholism when we stop drinking because we look at current unmanageability and unmanageability in our life even though we're not using. One of the great things that 12 steps will do is get us free from self and get us free from bedevilments and get us free from a thinking mind. And we get to stand at one with a loving creator. And what Alcoholics Anonymous is really about, I mean, we join together shoulder to shoulder here in a fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous, and it is a sacred fellowship, and we should treat it as such. And if you haven't found out the sacredness of Alcoholics Anonymous, I pray you stick around long enough to find out how sacred this is. Whether it's in a 12-step house or the international, it's sacred. And we see lives get reborn and resurrected in these sacred rooms. But what it's about besides the fellowship is service and one drunk working with another. And what we're supposed to pass on and bring to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous is an awakened spirit that we get going through the 12 steps, not by just going to AA meetings because meetings don't treat alcoholism. And so when we get to meetings and we find out this program in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, which allows us to experience God, we give it away in service. We're living in all three sides of this uh, circle in a triangle. And that becomes awakened, that becomes a recovered member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we get to have our spiritual wings and go fly and take these principles into our homes, occupations, and affairs. And so what the 12-step do is cut right through all the isms, all the disease, all the illness, and get us unhooked from the predator called the thinking mind, which is your and my greatest enemy that we'll ever face, is the thinking mind. The 12 steps are a direct route to experience God. Our book says, and how it works, may you find him now. And most of us, and I'm one of them, looked outside of me to find God. I looked to find God in a relationship, in money, a job, prestige, property, something outside of me. And I was always lost. And the journey is to go in in order to go out. And what the 12 step do is take us in, get us unhooked from our own self because we are our greatest enemy, because we are owned by a thinking mind. The thing that takes us back to that which is killing us is us, is the thinking mind. No person, no thing gets me loaded, but the mind will and will insist that I drink. And we're pretty up a junkyard to do it. But once we're locked into a power called God and experiencing oneness, not giving lip service to God, not just talking about God, not doing window dressing with God, but truly giving our life over to this power called God with no attachments or expectations to where we're going, something indeed miraculous happens to people like us. We get recovered. Whether we got 30 days or 30 years in Alcoholics Anonymous, we get free of alcoholism. And that's the message we should be passing on. And God is what we should be shouting from the rooftops and meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
my life today pretty much is one of consistency, accountability, and responsibility. My life today is one of acceptance and daily surrender as soon as I hit my prayer. My life, for the most part, is mindfulness and being present to where I am. And for the most part, being separated from the delusions of a thinking mind, where I become landlord of my own little kingdom, and the only people I allow in are people who are going to stroke the ego, and anyone who confronts me on me going sideways are not allowed in. And that's when we get untreated. And for most part, I'm present with my creator. I have a sponsor. My lineage goes right back to Dr. Bob. I have a sponsor as a sponsor. I work with the strict spiritual disciplines of steps 10 and 11. I don't just talk about them at a meeting. In fact, I don't talk about them much unless I'm called on to share. But what I do is the chopping wood and carrying water in the trenches with steps 10 and 11 and giving it all the way in 12 and going through the steps again at least once a year to remove self and kill self and experience God. More self, less God. More God, less self. And the steps will remove self. I pray and meditate three times a day. That's where God has brought me to, and I don't expect anyone else to do that, but that's where my creator brought me to prayer and meditation three times a day. I love the effect produced by God. I love the effect produced by booze. I don't think if there's any crackheads in here, I don't think you ever took a hit off a pipe and says, hey, I got to go to work. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> right? More. We were gluttons. More. More drink. Just more drink. More drugs. Just give me more. Because we like the effect produced by it. The problem is we become slaves to it. And the thing with God, we should want more God, experience more God, an abundance of God. But instead of being slaves, conversely, we get free. Get free of ourselves. A loving God separated me from alcohol on June 23rd, 1988. So I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I say that not to be unique or different from anyone else. It's just truth. Anything less than that would be falsely humble. My job, I've been invited here, life of imitation. I've been invited here by this group to share, so I'm not going to lie to you. And I'm not looking to split a room at any time. And I'm not looking to ruffle feathers at any time. But the truth will split a room and ruffle feathers. What gets in the way very often is the way. We have 12 steps. And they become window dressing in many meetings. And we come and we share and we dump and we go home. And someone says, hey, you need to get well. Why don't you do the steps? And we look at 12 steps and the, 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 the idea of going through that, and it gets in the way. The way gets in the way. Only because my ego and my mind still wants me to drink. And I just might get well. I'm willing to go to any lens to chase a bag of dope. I'm willing to go to any lens to chase a drink. But when it comes to experiencing God and finally getting free, there's limitations on that, what that's going to look like based on what I want I was talking to some folks today, and the goal here is to live life on God's terms. And many of us are told live life on life's terms. It doesn't work. Living life on life's terms, I speak for myself. I need a drink just to wake up in the morning. I need a drink to get in the shower. I need a drink to eat. I need a drink. I need a drink just to stop my car. That's how I live life on my terms, which is life on life's terms. According to what Pete Marinelli wants. And you, by the way, have to play the role I assign you. It's bondage, it's stress, it's skepticism, it's doubt. It's never freedom living life on life's terms. Life on God's terms is free and easy. I get to experience the abundance of God. And I learn how to navigate through life without having drink signals and drink issues. And I can go anywhere I want. That's recovered. 
And if you were to pick up a drink and put it on a table tonight, I'm not relishing the thought of drinking again. I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. If I'm spiritually fit, we can't do life. I can't do life. Even sober, 25 years, I still don't cop to, well, I'm sober this long and I can manage my life and I can, I can live life successfully. No, I cannot. The only way I can do life is with a relationship, a current relationship with God. So the question is, where are we currently tonight? Where are we currently tonight with our sponsor, with our 12 steps? What's my prayer life look like tonight? How many times did I pray today? Am I accountable to anyone? Not what I did five years ago last week. Today. Because I can't get drunk on yesterday's booze. Get to experience freedom in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's more than just making meetings. It's about going through the 12 steps and experiencing God. Why? Because I can't do life. Get an F on my report card for trying to live life. For the time I can remember growing up, I just didn't fit in. A group of folks like this, there's no way I'd walk in or I'd be pinned against the back wall, hiding behind a guy who's six foot by six foot, so no one would see me. I remember my mom threw a birthday party for me. I was three years old. I hid under the table. There were too many people in the room. I was too afraid of being me. But you give me a little Jack Daniels, you give me a little Mr. Boston Blackberry Brandy, you give me a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I'm up on a table holding court because I can fit in because I know when I'm drunk, you adore me now. All right? But live life on life's terms, can't do it. I get an F on a report card. One of the things we really need to get, you don't have to, but you could, is swallowing a very bitter pill that says, I can't do life. I failed miserably. Those of us who've been in multiple treatment centers, living life on life's terms, how'd that work out for you? Getting my 15, 30-day coin, how's that working out for you? Can't live life on life's terms, can't do it. Get an FMA report card, can't do life. Something happens, however, that indeed miraculous happens to someone like me and people like us. When we get to Alcoholics Anonymous and we just don't hold on to a meeting, what we do is we look for teachers or sponsors and we live life on what they tell us to do. They become our teacher, our GPS for life, and they give us some things to do and we follow instructions. The same way I wanted to learn how to make the perfect martini and you were making it, I was all eyes on, all ears open on how to make this perfect martini. I'm not screwing this up because my drunk depends on what you teach me. Some of you addicts in here, the first time you learned how to do what you do and you were being taught how to do it so you can go home and do it alone, you shut down everything. I need to pay attention to how to smoke crack. This is important. <laughs> right? We come into Alcoholics Anonymous, we have 12 spiritual disciplines on how to get free, completely free, including the thought about drinking, and we got a text during a meeting because the speaker's boring. There'll be no texting during these 12 weeks, by the way, because we'll stop the meeting. Okay. So if we need to text or make a phone call during the meeting, I guess sobriety is not that important. If I'm here to get a date, I guess sobriety is not that important. I'm here to get gussied up for her or him, I guess sobriety is not that important. If I'm here to save my life and I don't care what I look like, I don't care what I sound like, I just want to get well and I tell someone, I don't know what to do. I've been at this a long time. I don't know what to do. I feel like a fool. I'm 30 or 40 or 20 and I don't know what to do. You will get well because you've been split wide open. 
and the ego will get grinded into dust. And then where we couldn't do life on life's terms, we do indeed miraculous. We do astonishing things beyond what the mind can comprehend. Our spiritual life, my spiritual life makes absolutely no sense. If I tell you where I've been and where I stand tonight, it makes no sense. And the spiritual life never makes sense. You can't define it. You can't comprehend it. You can't understand God, but we can experience it. How do people like us who are broken, I'm broken, damaged goods, come into a place like Alcoholics Anonymous and suddenly become the pillars of our community and the point people in our family? That makes no sense. How does someone like me who's so broken, twisted up when I got here, I still have the brokenness and I work with other addicts and alcoholics in the treatment center most of my sobriety? and do a good job at it. How does that happen? Makes no sense. Don't try to understand God, but go experience God. Go experience the abundance of God. We need to get that out there before we even get into step one. What the solution is and what the problem is. Guys, I will tell you, I'm astonished at how many times I go to either an AA meeting or speak to folks who've been in multiple treatment centers in the 15,000 sober house. They know every sober house from here to Timbuktu. They know all the cop men are, where the bars are, where the, they know it all. But then I say, what do you suffer from? Well, I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I, I, I can see that. But what do you suffer from? Well, I, I don't know. I have a, a thought disorder. Um, I'm, I'm emotional. I'm bipolar. I say, I understand that. But what do you suffer from when you tell me you're an addict and alcoholic? And guys, I will tell you, so many folks, we don't even know what we suffer from. So many folks don't even think of reading the doctor's opinion. In fact, don't even know it's in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. How can I get well if I don't know what the problem is at a cellular level? What I suffer from? What makes me different from the people who are drinking in Fort Lauderdale tonight, having a grand old time, maybe putting a load on too, getting a load on, but showing up for work tomorrow with a little hangover, but going about life. And if one of us, God forbid, go drink, we disappear. What's the difference? Right? Some of the addicts in here will say, well, I can drink a little beer. Drink a little beer, palace over where it takes me, and you're in a project 20 minutes later. And we've got to bail you out. Right? I'm a drunk. I go drink. I wind up in a dumpster tomorrow morning. That's my progression. What separates folks like us from the hard and moderate drinkers? We have a lot of hard drinkers in AA. People have power, choice, control over when they want to start and when they want to stop. And those folks can, can buy into a remedy that says put the plug in a jug. Don't drink and go to meetings. Make 90 meetings in 90 days. Remember where you've come from. Keep it green. And that works for them. They're not the real alcoholic described in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. They're hard drinkers. And a hard drinker say, hey, listen, I got some health issues. She's about to leave me. He's about to leave me. I'm just going to put the plug in, the plug in a jug and make a decision not to drink and go to a meeting. And they get 20, 30, 40 years sobriety. God bless them. If you're anything like me, the plug came out of the jug. In fact, why even waste time putting it in there? I'm just drinking and going. I don't care where I go. I just know I'm going. And even when I know the consequences are going to be severe, that everything that's important to me I'm about to lose, I still can't stay away from a drink or a drug because my mind will always take us back, take you back to what's just killing us. It's delusional thinking. It's the lie the mind keeps churning out. 
Unmanageability, when they talk about unmanageability in step one, it isn't just what happens to us when we use. I panhandled, I was homeless, seven treatment centers, I lived in hallways on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, I walked the streets, I was one of those bums you would see in the street. That's how I lived. And I do anything to get money to get a drink. I do anything for a drink. Well, that's an unmanageable life. But then I sober up, go to treatment and get drunk. Immediately after treatment, AMA out of treatment, I kept getting drunk. What's, what's unmanageable when I'm sober? What's unmanageable about my life if I'm sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I haven't had a drink for 30, 60, 90 days or 10 or 15 years? Can my life still be unmanageable? Absolutely. Here's how. I have no idea what the day's gonna look like when my mind says go drink and I go drink and I keep relapsing. And I make a firm resolution, I'm not gonna drink. I make a decision not to drink and by the end of the day, I'm drunk, but that wasn't the plan. I was on my way to a meeting and I went somewhere else. I went to a meeting and on the way home. I didn't plan on getting drunk, but I got drunk anyway and I've relapsed again. Over and over and over again. That's unmanageability. Unmanageability, essence of it in the second half of step one, is that step one tells me, Peter Marinelli, you are drinking. I am going to get drunk. Step one doesn't say you're not going to use. Like, well, he, I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. How pompous of us. <laughs> I can't. No, I am. Step one tells me as a real alcoholic, I'm drinking and there's no way out. In our big book, besides the doctor's opinion, there's 43 pages just dealing with step one and 20 pages, 23 to 43, just on the mind, the predator. Because step one says, we are going to drink. Maybe 30 days, maybe five years, we're going to go drink. And before we drink, someone like me, the illness will go underground and resurface in other areas. They're called the sex sprees and the food sprees and the money sprees and the anger sprees and the fear sprees and the biggest addiction, thinking. While I'm speaking, I'll lay yards from here to Vegas, two-thirds of this room are having 14 other conversations in the head. Like, when is he done? I don't even like him already. Right? I got to get her number. I got to get his number. We're going to go to the diner as soon as he's done. I got work tomorrow. I got to do this. And we're listening with the other ear. We're having dialogue constantly. The, the addiction of thinking. And it's never good. And yet we keep going back. We keep going back, expecting something to happen. Wait for the miracle to happen. We hear that. Wait for the miracle to happen. We're sitting in a chair in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. The miracle has happened. I'll lay off from here to Vegas again that most of us, based on our track records, are not supposed to be sitting on the floor in a hot room listening to a speaker sober. Based on our track records, we're supposed to be ripping up Fort Lauderdale right now. That makes no sense. So we get to experience God to get manageability where the thought about drinking, the obsession about drinking is removed. And if I'm not thinking about using, I'm not using. If my mind is not taking me into the gutter with thinking sprees and fear sprees and sprees when it goes underground and resurfaces, then I'm not behaving that way. Guess what? I'm in a position of neutrality, safe and protected because I'm one with God. And I realize that the breath going through me is not me breathing, but God breathing through me and for me. 
That's something to sit with. Every breath I take, every breath you take is your God breathing life into you. Breath after breath after breath. Because we were born for a reason and God got us sober for a reason. There's a purpose in every one of our lives. We just need to find it. And I can't do it while I'm loaded and consumed with me. We've gotten sober for a reason. And God is infinite love. Separate us from the substance. Put us in a place called Alcoholics Anonymous with the rest of the broken toys. And little by slowly, we get put back together by the master's hand. And then something happens to us. Makes no sense. I picked up a drink when I was 14 years old in Brooklyn. I was born and raised. And it was a Saturday night. And my friends were drinking cold 45 beer. And it looked good. I liked the effect produced by alcohol in them. They were roughhousing and talking to the girls and had a little swagger and I was fear-based and insecure with the chatter of a thousand voices going on in my head. I'm too small, I'm too, too short, I'm, I'm not tough enough, I'm not good looking enough. It just went on and on and on. No matter where I went, there I was. And when my friends passed a quart of cold 45 beer around about the third time, I took a few pops off that, and I took a few more, and I took a few more, and then something indescribably wonderful happened to me. I was no longer restless and discontented. Little by slow, I felt like I was put back together again. I was back in my skin. The feeling sounds like this. <sighs> because I can't do life. Give me this, and I'm the, right in the middle of it all. I continued to drink that night. I was behaving like the rest of the guys. I was roughhousing. I was a big shot. I was a Romeo. I was the greatest athlete. I was Al Pacino by the end of the night. This was a great thing. I loved the effect produced by alcohol, but I didn't know it's going to turn in its flight like a boomerang, as Bill says, and cut me to ribbons and leave me at death's door in 1988. If I live to be 100, I'll never be as old as the day I walked into AA. I was about 28 years old, 1988. This time of year, I was living in the street. June 23rd, I'm separated from booze, and I thought I was going to die. My mind kept telling me, who are you kidding? Who are you kidding going into treatment? Who are you kidding trying to get sober, praying, look at you? And I listened to it a few times, but I kept put one foot in front of the other. My plan in, in when I first picked up a drink at 14 was not to land in AA, not to land in treatment. I just wanted to pack into the stream of life, be a part of. Right? I had a mom who committed suicide about six months prior to my first drunk. She should have been in the meetings of AA. She didn't find that way. She found taking a life was her solution. I was completely leveled at 14. I remember drinking at 14 and experiencing that euphoria on the first drunk and waiting for the next Saturday to roll around so I can get to that place again. And I had a panacea for my ills. I knew if I drank, I can deal with the rest of the week. I'm 14 years old. I think of a 14-year-old now. Now, needing a drink to deal with the weak. It's bizarre, but that's how we operate. I've never met a drunk who is different than that. Some of us pick up at eight, some of us at 16, but we need a drink at an early age just to get in, and then we can't stay away from it. That's unmanageability. I went through seven treatment centers. My first six treatment centers. From a, young, from a young guy till around 26, I managed a total of two days continuous sobriety. I would leave treatment at noon and by one drunk. I would AMA out of treatment. I would have drugs brought into treatment. I would just get 
get high, I would get drunk. Six treatment centers, two days total sobriety. And one time I was discharged on a Saturday and drunk on a Monday. And those two days of sobriety, the white knuckle sobriety, I'm just obsessing and holding on and trying to keep busy until I couldn't take it anymore. And I went to the liquor store. I got a pint of Mr. Boston Blackberry Randy. It went down. It was like oxygen. There's a problem, something radically wrong with me on the inside. Because physically on the outside, I was strong as an ox. Was nine weeks in a treatment center. They took me to a gym. I was eating. I was sleeping. Physically, I looked great. But internally, I was still sick. And that's what I'm talking about, unmanageability in Alcoholics Anonymous, even though we're not using. If any of you guys are familiar with the big book on page 52, it talks about something referred to as the bedevilments. Bedevilment is something that torments, frustrates, and harasses us. If we had someone who was constantly in our grill, uh, tormenting, frustrating, harassing us, we wouldn't hang out with them. We'd call 911. What we do with that stuff is we invite the bedevilment in and all their relatives. Can't control our emotional nature, having trouble with personal relationships, prey to misery and depression, can't make a living, full of fear. This is what we walk with. This is what I would walk with without God. At some point, I need to relieve from that, so give me a drink, even though I have a powerful desire not to drink, huh? How do we resolve? How did I resolve coming to Alcoholics Anonymous? The things that caused that, the pain. We all got that hurt. Every one of us got a hurt or many hurts in our life. Betrayals, abuse issues, whatever it might be. We all got that thing in here that when we talk about it, we swallow hard. We get tight, that thing. What are we going to do about that? Because because of that little piece, that's how we see, hear, and be. We all come out of that place. And until that gets resolved with God, we're still just as sick as we were when we walked in, even though we look better. That's what I did. <coughs> First half of step one says we admit it we're powerless over alcohol. Second half says that our lives had become unmanageable. They're looking back when they talked about this. Past tense. What does palace over alcohol mean for a guy like me? It tells me what I suffer from. Palace over alcohol means I don't have choice and I don't have control and I obviously don't have power. No power, choice, control. The words are interchangeable. This is before I even pick up a drink. Don't pick up the first drink, you can't get drunk. That sounds really great, but my mind's going to say, well, just have half. <laughs> or, her, you know, a great story is a guy or the drunk orders two drinks and drinks the second one. Why? Because they told me the first one will get me drunk. <laughs> See, th we'll navigate right around that. We're not, you know, we might be new to sobriety, but we're not stupid. We'll punch a hole in anything we can to get drunk. So I don't have power, choice, control in the mind before I even pick up a drink. That's what step one tells me. I suffer from a mind problem, a body problem, and obviously a God problem. Now, the God problem, half the planet suffers from. Watch CNN News at night. We're mad. You drop a bomb on me, I drop two on you. You drop one on me, I drop five on you, and it goes on and on ad infinitum. We got the same problem, except we have something else. To deal with all of that, I need a drink. And once I drink, I can't stop because my mind takes me back. Body, mind, and spirit. Powerless over the drink before we even pick up. I'm gonna split hairs for a moment. I hear a lot of new folks saying, well, my drug of choice is, 
Really? So you decided to select heroin tonight instead of pills. What do you have on the menu? Vicodin, Quaaludes? Me two heroin and uh, an ounce of crack, if that'll work, okay? There's no choice. That word choice shouldn't even resonate with you. Don't let it resonate. Dump the word choice. There's no such thing as choice. I make a choice not to use today. Really, how's that working out for you? If you're successful, you probably don't even need to be an AA. And I know that'll rattle some, ruffle some feathers. That's just a fact, man. As a real alcoholic, I don't have power, choice, control in the mind before I even pick up a drink. Because if I did, I would successfully stay away from the, from the drink or the drug. I'd make a decision not to use 30 years ago and stay stopped. But I don't have control over the stopping and the starting because my mind will take me back to that which is killing me. Right? Not drinking, we go on a sex spree. Instant gratification. Oh my God, if they find out about this, if she finds out about that, if my sponsor finds out about that, I'll never do it again. And that's Monday and Tuesday, I'm doing it again. And Wednesday, I'm doing it again. And then I'm locked in on my computer for six months and I'm not even getting out because I'm on a horrible sex break. And I start to drift. That's unmanageability. That's me making a decision for my life because I can't do life well. I don't do too good with this. So the first half of step one tells me I don't have power, choice, control in the mind before I even pick up a drink. I'm doomed to drink. Peter Marinelli, you're doomed to drink. That's what they told me. And no human power is going to relieve me, and I speak for myself, of this affliction. No human power is going to relieve me of alcoholism. The greatest relationship in the world, I'm still going to get drunk because if between her and a drink, I'm taking a drink. Powerless over alcohol. The job or a drink, I'm taking a drink. Money, my reputation, and alcohol, I'm taking the drink. The thing about being powerless for someone like me is you can put whatever is valuable to me in front of me on a table. Relationship, money, reputation, career, family, loved ones, whatever it is, put it on the table. Peter, you're going to lose this. And at first I said, well, I don't want to lose that, but give me one anyway. Because the mind demands I go pick up a drink and I cannot get away from it. It's like trying to outrun your own shadow. That's why we relapse over and over and over again. And even though, like I did, I came in here with the powerful desire, I don't want to drink anymore. I can't take drinking anymore. My body is ravaged with alcoholism. My family has disowned me. I can't even tie my own shoelaces anymore. I'm done. Got drunk again. That's alcoholism. And our book is really clear that a powerful desire not to drink is of absolutely no avail. That's not me. That's our big book telling us that. And we have legions of folks who will back us up on that. Ask any chronic relapser who's come into AA or gone into treatment and says, I don't want to do this anymore. And as soon as they leave treatment in a week, they're loaded. Or they switch seats on a, switch seats on a Titanic and do marijuana maintenance. A little weed. Or this other thing now, they something called kava bars. I never heard of this. You know, I'm going to do a little of that because it's legal. I can do it. And they're back smoking whatever they're doing again, shooting whatever they're doing again. That's not sober. The spiritual life contradicts the unspiritual life. The spiritual life contradicts my mind over and over and over. They don't get along. They don't live in the same room together. I'm either spiritual or I'm not. And the only remedy for someone like me who's been homeless, who's gone through seven treatment centers, who's panhandled and couldn't stop drinking even though I wanted to, was to live a spiritual life and I still make mistakes. But I get back on a horse and keep riding. 
because the most important relationship in my life is the one I have with my creator, which allows me to have relationships with others. So the mind will take me back to a drink and then I pick up a drink. Now I don't have power, choice, control in the body. We have obsession going on and this thing called phenomenon of craving. You pick up a drink, what do you do? Order another drink, order another drink. We don't go into a liquor store or, or a bodega and get one beer. You ever see us go in? It's like we haven't eaten 30 days and we take the whole cabinet, right? Have to go to the beach with a cooler of beer. Who's going? Just me, right? right. Gonna be about 20 minutes, give me a cooler of beer. Civilians go, what's wrong with this guy? And I got all the powdered goods here and I got all that, you know, all that stuff. Because one is never enough. So you got the obsession in the mind which tells me go pick up a drink, it endorses it, it insists I go drink and I can't stop it. I cannot stop the drink. I'm powerless over alcohol. In chapter two agnostics, the most powerful words for me says lack of power was my dilemma. So with power, no dilemma. I don't have power to stop it. If I had power to stay away from the next drink, I wouldn't need Alcoholics Anonymous. I wouldn't need a sponsor, I wouldn't need God. She works, money works, circumstances work, external conditions are my remedy. That works. I don't need to go to AA. I need to go through these 12 strict spiritual disciplines which are going to rip me in half. I need to do that. But being on this side, being a real alcoholic and, and, and getting leveled, I realize I get to do this. I get to get leveled. I get to experience freedom. So my mind takes me back to a drink, and what happens? I pick up a drink, and one is, one is never enough. My body demands more. It's called the craving, the phenomenon of craving. And for me, Peter Marinelli, when I drink, the cravings intensified, never satisfied. More is the drink. I, V, me, Jack Daniels, I'm good. You see civilians, maybe they, they break a finger or they break a leg and they go into an emergency room and when they set it, was a doctor do? Jack them up with morphine or Demerol because it's so painful. And most of them go, oh my God, I don't like this. What, what's going on? I'm looping. You know what we do? Can you break the other arm while you're at it? Because we know where we're going. We don't get pukey. We get psyched. Oh my God, Demerol. My body craves more booze. My body craves more of the substance. And there's no way around that. I've been tagged. Wishful thinking's not gonna get me sober. Relationship's not going to get me sober. Talking about God is not gonna get me sober. Having a relationship with God will work. And the goal is permanent sobriety. I live a day at a time. That's my human condition. The goal here is permanent sobriety. And who's ever sober tonight, like me, we're in the middle of that. We're in the middle of a journey taking us to permanent sobriety that we will go home to God clean and sober. Living a spiritual life and the track record behind us is pristine, just like our God. I'm broken. I need a drink to live. I need a drink just to breathe. I'm broken and I come into Alcoholics Anonymous and God little by slowly puts me back together. So you got mind and body and the third piece is this God piece. And there's a chapter called We Agnostics. And many of us come in that way, not denying the existence of God, but you just can't prove its existence. So I got to do what I got to do. And I start to live in delusion and illusion on how my life is supposed to look, how much money I'm supposed to have, where I'm supposed to be, who's supposed to be in my relationship. And I become a landlord of my kingdom. 
and my whole life is based on illusion and I look to feed the illusion. The mind needs more and more and more to keep me thinking, this is me. I deserve this. How come they hit lottery? I'm supposed to hit lottery. I'm me. How come they have a BMW? I deserve a BMW. And we will beg, borrow, and steal to get that thing. It'll feel good for 20 minutes, and then we need something else. That's life on life's terms, by the way, because it's a God problem. Every dark alley I went down in my day, the drinking, the non-conference approved dry good alleyways, the sex alleyways, the money alleyways, the stealing alleyways, all of it. You know what I was in search of? Utopia. What was I in search of? God. And I picked up a drink and I thought I found God. And then it boomerangs and cuts me to ribbons and I'm searching and I'm searching. And I come into Alcoholics Anonymous and I still have the same mind, an illusional mind, a delusional mind that's still thinking out there is going to fix me. I was one of them. I hear it for years. Newbies come into AA and we talk about the hole in the soul. I feel empty on the inside and I don't know what to do. Here's what's going on. We're not empty at all. The feeling is empty. I feel like there's nothing in there. It's the opposite. I'm loaded up. I'm loaded up with belief systems, fears, resentments, a twisted up sex life, disappointments, heartbreaks, all of it. It's a wedge that's blocking me from me and my creator. I'm actually loaded up, and the, and the effect produced by that is I'm empty. I got nothing. And what the 12 steps allow us to do is pour everything out. It's an emptying of out. It's, it's by subtraction, never addition, that we get well. Everything I think I am when I walked into AA had to go. The guy who walked into AA in 1980 had to die and experienced the physical death, uh, the death of self before the physical death. Boy, those are drastic and revolutionary proposals. A moderate drink and a hard drink, I said, this guy's nuts, I'm out of here. I thought AA was to make me feel good. If it feels good, it doesn't mean it's good. And if it feels bad, it doesn't mean it's bad. And sometimes we gotta just shake it up to wake it up. And getting to the truth. The truth will set you free. It'll piss you off along the way occasionally. Self must die. So I got this threefold problem, this God problem. My ideas of God when things were going my way. When she loved me, God loves me. When I get the new car, God loves me. When I'm a little bit more special than you and I make more money than you, I got a good thing with God and you don't. I didn't have anything with God. What I was given was grace. Many of you guys sitting here tonight are getting God's grace. Just for being a physical extension of that power which is non-physical, simply put a child of God, he's given you grace. You're here. You've been rescued. You've been saved. And that's what happens. We are surrendered on the way into AA. We all do it. I've done it. You know, I surrendered. I gave up. I surrendered. I gave up. We keep saying that. In actuality, we were surrendered. Because if we think about the last day we used, the dialogue in the head for a brief moment changed. We weren't listening to the illness. We were thinking, who can help me right now? I'm in serious trouble. We were completely out of our minds for a brief moment which is the greatest thing that can happen to every one of us, me included in this room, is that we completely lose our mind permanently. Be completely out of your mind. You don't need it, and you'll experience God, and you'll be great. 
if you replay the day for a moment from the time you woke up this morning, every time you had stress, anxiety, and fear, who fed you that? The mind. Driving in your car, thinking I'm going to the beach, it's gonna be great, my friends, I'm so glad I'm sober, the mind says, but you didn't pay your bills, boom. You forgot to call work, boom. The mind is saying, don't get too happy, joyous, and free, because I'll screw it up in a heartbeat. But my mind, in actuality, for many of us, is my God. That's who I worship. I worship my emotions. Got to feel good. Worship my feelings. Worship my mind. Worship what people think of me. I worship me at the end of the day. And how can I experience God if I'm playing God? A house divided against itself can't stand. I was an agnostic when I came in here. I had a lot of problems with God. I knew God was there, but I didn't think God was a very loving being. God took my mom. God turned me into a drunk. God made me homeless. God took my family. What God? Not a loving God. It's a cruel God. I want no part of God. So what do I do? I relied on you. And you pointed me to a big book, and I got a God. It's the same God I grew up with but new eyes and new ears to see it and hear it. Huh? Complete flip. The 180 we talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. So you got a body, mind, and, and, and spirit problem when we walk in here. Phenomenal called craving, obsession in the mind, a spiritual malady, and the only remedy is God. If the main problem for someone like me, someone like us, is in the mind, not the body, the main problem's in the mind. The body don't use unless the mind says, go use. The body doesn't act out unless the mind says, let's go act out. And justify the inappropriate, make it very appropriate. Huh? So if the main problem's in the mind, where's the solution? I would raise my hand and say, in the mind, wrong, in the spirit. We get right spiritually. When the spiritual malady is overcome, my book tells me, we straighten out mentally and physically. AA is about God and nothing less than that great fact. It's all about God, our fellowship, our recovery, and our passing it on in service. It's about God. The men who set up the meeting, the ladies who set up the meeting, they could be home with their family. But they come here to be of service because that's what God allows them to do. And they honor that. Huh? That's living in the solution. Unmanageability. My friend Art says, I can't see my ears. You can. I can't see my illness. You can. So I could be an Alcoholics Anonymous, dressing nice, having a pocket full of money, and thinking I'm it, and my friends are going, you're sideways. And the analogy, the analogy I always love to use about this is down by the beach. Many of you, I'm sure, have gone down to the beach. You park your beach chair here, and you go in the water and you play around for 15 or 20 minutes or a half hour. But there's a little undercurrent that you really can't feel. And you turn around and go back to your beach chair, and you ever do this? Where's my chair? And you go, oh my God, it's over. How did I drift so far? Didn't even feel it. That's what alcoholism does. Just keeps pushing and pushing, and we think we're doing great, and we turn around, we can't find home, can't find recovery, can't find AA. I'm lost. I need people to pull me in. That's unmanageability. Lying, stealing, cheating, using AA for other reasons than what it's supposed to, still looking to get rather than give. All those things, being an AA, never doing the steps, never becoming a solid member, an elder statesman, AA, all those things part of unmanageability. But at the core, 
with my best intentions of not drinking, I will go drink. At the core, with my best intentions not to use drugs, I will go get high again. And I actually settled for going into another treatment center. I'll go to treatment. Just think, because I was there, becoming institutionalized, when I fall back on, well, I'll go to treatment again. It's like the guy who can't live on the outside of jail and says, I'll just go in jail again, man. How sad and how broken. When God says, I'm giving you the world. And we settle for something else. The man or woman of greed, the selfish, self-seeking, self-absorbed drunk, wants everything and we always go home empty. The humble man or woman who wants nothing other than a relationship with God goes home with everything over and over and over again. And instead of living life on life's terms, I live life on God's terms. And little by slowly, God flips that into a very manageable life, a life of all love and no opposite. <clears throat> 43 pages in step one. 23 to 43 just on the mind, the predator. Because it'll take me back to that which is killing me. There's a great story in a book about this guy, Jim the Automobile Salesman. If you ever read it, um, <coughs> this guy goes on six drunks in a row and swears he'll never go back and he gets drunk again. This guy had all intentions of not drinking. He was done. He figured he was humiliated and, and, and Lord was about to lose his family. And his mind says, what we're going to do, we're going to take a little trip into the country. We're going to stop at a bar. We're going to have a little lunch. We're not going to drink. We're going to pass out some business cards. We're going to get a couple of customers and we're going to make some money. He was set up before the ambush and gets drunk again. What this illness will do to me will pretty up a junkyard and tell me, Peter, we're not getting drunk on this. We'll never get drunk on this because we don't want to get drunk. We've made a decision not to drink. We're going we're gonna to stay sober and I will never use again. I hear new people tell me this all the time. I will never use again. And then I go to get them out of detox a week later. Alcoholism is like facing a tsunami. There's a, a gentleman uh, way back when, uh, Clarence... Clarence um, uh, Clarence Snyder, I can't think of his name. He said, we suffer from a terminal illness called alcoholism. And the only remedy we have is God. So step one tells me I'm drinking. What do I do? If you're telling me I'm doomed to drink regardless of what you put in front of me, all reasons, all consequences, I'm still going to go drink. They paint us into a corner, and what they do right away, they, they would get brought to chapter two agnostics, and we get introduced to a solution, appointed to the solution called God. Hmm? And the very same person who was doomed to drink like me suddenly finds a path of getting recovered. And the thought about drinking is not removed. The obsession's certainly gone, all because of something called spiritual fitness. We get our soul food from God. So I'll close with this. The mind is the predator. We're not drinking. We're not drugging. What sort of thinking do we have going on tonight that we will never tell anyone about? What sort of thinking do I got going on? The little secrets I got because they grow in the dark that I don't want to tell anyone about. That's the stuff that's going to kill me. I need to sit with Owen and say, Owen, I got some strange things going on. I need to talk to you about this, man. 
just give me five minutes and he'll navigate me through it, it dies. The thinking mind is the predator. We need to get unhooked from a thinking mind. It's the thing that's going to kill me. I can be a hostage to a mind or a host to God. How bad do I want this? Right? That's all I got. Peace.